you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. Christian, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you are here. You have a very interesting story. So I think we're just going to jump right in. Let's talk a little bit about your your childhood and your family of origin and where you grew up. Yes, it's a confusing story, I must say. So if you follow closely, you might get a, you know, you might follow the the logic of it. It's, It's very strange. I'm half Chilean, half Russian. My dad's Chilean, my mom's Russian. I was born in Moscow, Russia, but then my parents left when I was just a few months old and we went to Chile and we were going to spend the rest of our lives down there and until there was a military coup in 1973, September 11th actually, that turned the country into turmoil. There was essentially a military coup and uh, anyone who was a leftist uh, or even suspected to be a leftist, like a witch hunt type situation. And both of my parents were communist. And they were arrested, tortured, killed, disappeared without a trace. Dozens, I mean, thousands dis- died, and but hundreds of thousands were arrested and sort of rounded up in this mass uh, p- persecution. So my dad was in a concentration camp. And actually, my first childhood memories were and I know they were the first ones because we don't have any pictures of that sort of those days or months. It was holding my mom's hand. She was on the outside of this soccer stadium. That's where they kept the, the prisoners. And I was holding her hand, and she was talking to one of the soldiers trying to pass food for, for my dad. That was uh, sort of the first glimpses of memories uh, of a child. <laughs> Probably not the best memories to have when th- these are the first things you remember. No, so you had this crazy start in your life, but then it took an unexpected turn as you grew and you got into music, right? Yes, and and but it, there was a, there were a few turns on the way. So we ended up in a refugee in a UN refugee camp. I was five years old, and my sister was three. We ended up getting political asylum in Germany at first in Munich. Then a, a brief stay in Russia, back to Russia, because my mom was so homesick and sort of shell-shocked that she wanted to go back. And then we moved to Africa. I was seven years old when we moved. To, so I moved to three continents uh, and learned four languages by age nine. Wow. And eventually, eventually, we did make it back to Russia after my parents' divorce, which was, you know, very painful as they are. And after college, I, I was very musical growing up. So after college, I decided to try, try music because, because I could, I could, you know, it was, I was young enough to do it. I was excited enough and it was just the right timing. You know, I, I had a, quite a bit of talent, but also some drive and also really luck. Yeah. Um, so we, I became one of the most 
popular Russian pop artists in the early to mid 90s. So I had a decades long, decade long career, basically living the life of the of the of the pop star. Yeah, so that is quite a crazy contradiction there from living in a communist country to having political asylum, moving continents, and then you're a pop star. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, you know what? It, many people out there either like to do, like to sort of project the human trajectory, the human life as a almost like a straight line. And if you start from the bottom, you are doomed to stay in the bottom, you know? So there's this sort of victim uh, narrative that, that happens quite a bit, uh, especially in the West. And, and I'm here to tell you, it's just not true, right? I mean, what are the odds of someone who doesn't even know what tomorrow holds, I mean, if we're gonna be alive tomorrow, of, of having a journey that I did, right? It's not a, it's not a straight line, it's a very wiggly, up and down, left and right line. And it's the art of navigating life is what takes you from perhaps a place of disadvantage or desperation to a place of great success sometimes. Yeah. So continue on, keep telling us the, the journey of your life. So what, what was life like, you know, being a pop star and, and then how did that come to an end? It was, um, it was wonderful uh, for, uh, for a musician to be able to, you know, experience, you know, 10,000 people chanting a song you wrote in your, on your kitchen table, you know, some, you know, in, in a little notebook or in the subway somewhere as an unknown. It's just really surreal and beautiful and, and just spectacular to be able to do that and move the masses. And, and it, you know, I think part of it also was creating sort of being able to almost shape culture. You know, I don't think it's an overstatement that pop culture is, shapes people, people, the way they think and stuff like that. And as a matter of fact, ironically, I was able to, I had a number one hit called Our Generation at one point. And it was one of those things that was very anthem, an anthem song. It was everywhere, every disco, every radio, every TV. This was before the internet was widely adopted it was early 90s there was this standoff between the um, a candidate for presidency uh, by the name of Boris Yeltsin and the communist party that was making a comeback so they i think he i think he actually employed american strategists to for his campaign because they did sort of a version of rock the vote at the time mm-hmm. and i just happened to have this very appropriate hit for the theme. So they basically used my song as the anthem for his campaign against the communists, which was sort of ironic since uh, my parents were communists. Uh, you know, I was very anti-communist by them already, by then already, having experienced some of the downsides of the system. So I had the privilege to to help defeat the communists. It was a very small part, but to me it's actually significant that, that I was a small part of something so significant uh, in the history of the country. Now, it all reverted to dictatorship Anyway, so it didn't last, unfortunately, <laughs> as we know now, right? Right. So, uh, but um, but it was actually quite significant. And what happened on the downside of something like this, of instant fame, it was not instant, right? But it was fast. It was definitely fast. Like between the time I started my music career, within a year I was on national television. So it was very fast for by you know, if you compare it to many other. The journeys. So 
what happened was that all of my internal cracks showed up, right? So the ego, the pride, the you know, narcissism, some of the fears and, and just terrible trauma from my parents' divorce showed up. So I couldn't hold a relationship to save my life. I was just a serial dater. And of course, when you're like, a, you know, essentially like a sex idol, you know, to, to a bunch of young women, that doesn't help if you have issues with relationships. So, so it, it really amplified all of, the, all of the sin, all of the selfishness. Um, and, um, you know, I ended up hurting myself, hurting a lot of people some of my friends, people I dated. And uh, I was just very deeply miserable, probably by the, you know, by the time I had the number one hit, I was actually rock bottom, which is, you know, some so many people thinking that you have the life of, of their dreams and you just can't even, you know, keep it together. Yeah, I think we're not made to be famous. And so I think that fame is, is really hard on people, right? And the ego it and is. just all of the different things that you have discussed. It they People say, oh, I'd love to be famous. But really, I think if they experienced oh, it, yeah. you know, that it doesn't surprise me that you were on top of the world, but in your own personal life that you were broken and, you know, in a bad place. But you didn't stay there. But you didn't stay there. So what happened next? <laughs> I um, I had this complicated relationship with faith. Uh, you know, obviously coming from a from a, a a background of of complete atheism. I actually in 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 college started to be interested in spirituality, but I went the new age route, which is sort of it's more convenient because it doesn't expect anything from you, right? So it's you the the entry the threshold of entry. Uh, into new age philosophy is very low. Basically, it's like the salad bar of faiths, uh, you know. Uh, so, but of course, it doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't transform you. So, I had a little bit of an interest in spirituality, but I had definitely an, an aversion to organized religion in general, to Christianity in particular. So, I didn't pay attention to the Christian faith at all. And as a matter of fact, one, I was invited to the same evangelical church three years in a row to the same one uh, surprisingly and then uh, on the third only on the third time that I come because I was rock bottom so somebody invited me and I just attended a service and I was like sitting in the back row wearing shades trying to not be recognized of course immediately recognizable with shades indoors and uh, <laughs> and and I met this <laughs> this guy who was the, the a missionary there, um, a Canadian guy, and he didn't know or care who I was. And I was, he was like, "Well, do you want to go out for pizza?" So we went, and he told me a little bit about the Bible, and you know, and I was very, very skeptical. And you know, I was fairly, I'm a very educated guy, so I can talk circles around anybody if I want to. If I want to rationalize something away, I will. But what really got to me was his this guy's family. His name is Andy Fleming. He's my father in the faith. So I came to his house and uh, we're having a normal dinner in his kitchen or something like that. And and I see his wife and his kid, Tammy and Britton, and and there's something there that I have never seen before, you know. So I had this very instant, like almost Holy Spirit movement of 
he has something I don't have. And I basically said, how do I get what you have? And he said, I'll show you from the Bible if you're willing to learn. And I said, okay. And that's essentially how it happened. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I, you know, I, we got every, probably met every other day to study the Bible, pray together, talk. And I, don't, I had a, a thousand and one questions. And, you know, I was, I was very, you know, I'm not an easy person to convince of things, uh, but he answered all my questions and convicted me. I mean, the Holy Spirit moved and I got baptized, I think a couple of weeks, three weeks maybe later, repented of all my sin, changed my life, you know, and that was it. That's amazing. That was the beginning of, that was the beginning of a new life. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that story. You know, a lot of times people who are educated, it's a stumbling block for them because Jesus did it all, right? We, we in we want to work for our salvation or there's got to be something that we can do. But Jesus paid the price for all of us. And I think that that really, the gospel is offensive to people who are perishing, but also when you're intelligent, like you said, you can talk circles around any conversation that has to do with the faith. But really, we love God because he first loved us and he drew you to him through the Holy Spirit, right, to have that encounter. And, you know, oftentimes, too, it takes us hitting the absolute rock bottom before we're ready to do it a different way, right? We have to come to the end of ourselves so that we can fully experience all that Jesus has to offer. Well, that is not the end of the story. So you become saved. And then what happens in your life? I basically... Well, first, it took me took me a, a lot of mentorship and a lot of accountability to actually change, not just in decision, but in in lifestyle and everything. So, so, uh, and it was wonderful. And and the, the the smartest thing I've ever done was to commit to accountability and humility, and just do what I'm told, basically. You know, yeah. <laughs> which which in my position, people didn't do typically. So it was a surprising thing for people around me who knew me already and they were, they were like wow i mean this guy's in a cult or something right and uh <laughs> and uh, well, you know i guess you know look i'm just i'm just determined so i just obeyed i obeyed the bible i obeyed scripture and obeyed people who told showed me in scripture what i should do and not do and that was the end of it right so and that really sort of fast tracked my growth and i think you know if anyone's listening and you want to change your life there's no there are no shortcuts That's you right. either commit fully 100% and you obey fully, and you submit fully, that's the only way. Half measures don't work in Christianity, I don't think. I don't think that's what Jesus was teaching. Right. No. So so I started, I was campaigning for Boris Yeltsin, you know, I was doing all this stuff, you know. Um, we, our, one thing shifted tremen- tremendously was my, compa- my level of compassion. I think my heart was just softer, so I started doing a lot of charity work. So we did a, a lot of work for orphans in Moscow. We had um, a, a annual festival of sports and music specifically for orphans, and we bust in around 5,000 orphans from all over the city, and it was just magnificent. You know, it was a big show. All the celebrities came. I performed. Just fantastic stuff. And we even had Michael Jackson visit one of our events. And all of the volunteers on stage with Michael Jackson, they had this, he, have this, he has this massive sort of thing, were volunteers from our, our organization. So we're all Christians on stage with Michael. My mom was on stage with Michael Jackson. <laughs> 
just crazy stories. I mean, I have all kinds of side stories, which I will try to not, you know, pursue as rabbit holes. But so we did a lot, we started doing a lot of work for the poor and that never stopped. So I still do a lot of work for the poor uh, internationally. The other thing that changed was that I was convicted and called to preach, to preach the gospel. You know, I it, I couldn't get away from it, right? So in two years after I became a Christian, I started preaching and I started doing ministry. And I sort of phased out of my music career and um, started leading churches. So I led churches in Moscow. Then we, we led a large church, a group of churches in Ukraine. So my two yo- oldest daughters were born in Moscow. My youngest daughter was born in Ukraine. So all of that, of course, comes into play now with the war. So I did, so I Add, added ministry to something that it became core to what I do, to, to who I am, actually, right? Service to the poor was became core. And then eventually I started adding entrepreneurship back, right? Because I was sort of a, I had the entrepreneurial bug and it didn't go away. And uh, so I, I started a few companies and, you know, so it all evolved as we moved around. I'm in the States now, obviously, so so the rest is history. But there's uh, that's sort of what happened next. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on. You mentioned the Ukraine and, and then the other kind of big topic was communism. So I'm going to kind of go back because I want to, I want to, to hear your thoughts on what's Mm -hmm. happening in the United States. You know, we see a lot of young people who are, are into Marxist ideas. They don't understand that that's what they are and they think that it's a good thing. So first I'd love, love for you to speak because I've never seen communism work ever. There's no example I can think of in history. So love your feedback on that. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Ukraine. So on communism, yes, that is, um, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know how bell bottoms come, bell bottoms come back every once in a while. Communism or a version of a Marxist thought of, of that Marxist philosophy um, the, it, it's like a virus. It just comes back every once in a while to a new generation who don't know the outcome. And basically, I think the reason for that is because it actually taps into into the truth of inequality and suffering very precisely. So it identifies a problem that is absolutely true. Uh, what it misidentifies is the solution. And that's the tricky thing with Marxism, is that... Anyone with a heart will go, yeah, you're right. I mean, how come pe- so, many, so many people suffer? So many people just have less opportunities, all of that stuff, right? Um, so much cruelty and, and unfairness going on. So you start nodding. And if, of course, you, if you lack perspective, historical perspective, and, and sort of understanding of how the world works in general, uh, then you'll sort of drink the Kool-Aid after that. And what happens after that is that the solutions that are proposed are are terrible solutions because on, on a number of levels, because they don't include God. It's a it's a materialistic philosophy and uh, ideology. Um, it is a victim um, sort of driven victimhood driven uh, philosophy, which I don't subscribe to for a number of reasons. I can impact those things as well. And it also it, it is inevitably intrinsically connected to violence as part of the solution. And people don't see that coming down the road. But once they get there, it happens, right? So I have a whole article that I wrote about it. If you want to Google Christian Ray Flores, why the why Marxism is eroding the West, I believe, something like that. And the reason I wrote this article, because I was so frustrated 
with how much Marxist seeds of Marxism are everywhere. And actually, not I thought initially that it was just fringe stuff, right? But it's actually in mainstream culture now in the U.S., uh, which concerns me greatly in, in mainstream politics. It is... And college is campuses. T- ca- <laughs> you know? College campuses, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and then the ideology has made its way to mainstream politics, actually. You know, some of the those narratives are absolutely destructive and terrible. Now, and the, and the problem is that it's very hard to explain to people why they're evil. So I wrote this article. It took me actually five days to write it because I wanted to explain it in a way that is digestible, right? Because I obviously, uh, I can... It's too dense sometimes. I, I'm, I have a master's degree in economics. I wrote papers on Karl Marx. And I lived in at least two countries with Marxist sort of ideologies at the core of their government. So I have experiential, I have theoretical, and, you know, life experience of all, all of that stuff. It's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't experienced that. So what I did is I wrote this article sort of breaking down some core tenets and how they... Sh- how they sound, how they look like in modern America, and also how I have experienced experienced them in my life. So it's more digestible. I think it, it, it gives you a, a better picture, a little bit more multidimensional. So if you Google Christian Ray Flores and how Marxism, I think, erodes the West or something like that, uh, you'll probably find this this article out there somewhere. Yeah, I'll look uh, for that and, and put it in the show notes so that anybody who wants to read that article can read it. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you doing that because it, I think it's, it's really important and, and, and people need to be educated. So, so thank you for doing that. Now let's move on um, to talk about the Ukraine a little bit. What, what are your thoughts and feelings about what's happening at, in, with the Ukraine and Russia? And I mean, you've lived in both and, and, and our involvement in the United States and just would love to hear your heart on this. Well, it's my heart is broken, as is the heart of probably every Ukrainian and most Russians. If I could maybe give you a, a comparable, it's what imagine what would happen to culturally, emotionally, physically, economically if you know if the United States starts bombing Canada. That's how it feels like. Yeah. You know, it's. It's not the same country, it's not the same people, but we're sort of related, you know, and in, 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 we're in the same cultural space in many, many ways, right? So it is just horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. And my, you know, I'm half, I'm a quarter Ukrainian, so I'm half Chilean, half Russian, I say, but the Russian side is half Russian, half Ukrainian. My grandfather was Ukrainian. His last name is Levchenko, which is a Ukrainian last name. He was a captain in the in the Soviet army and fought World War II in from 13 from 1939 which was the beginning of the war for Russia all the way to Berlin 1945 he was in Berlin in this he was part of the siege of Berlin and uh, he died in Ukraine so so there's there are some so there are roots there my youngest daughter was born in Ukraine we led churches we love the country deeply so the first few days of the war, I have dozens and dozens of friends. I mean, hundreds actually, but dozens who I talked to, who and all of them were in bomb shelters. And I was just like, it's just surreal, you know. It when they're they spent three four days in a cold dungeon somewhere, 
think like hearing the bombs go off and the machine gun fire and then they were all running for their lives grabbing their families trying to get out into a village onto the border they were sending the women and children over to other countries four million people left the country in a matter of weeks Uh, it's just i think eight million rather four million um came back right so four million net 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 minus are overseas now so not overseas but over over the borders of ukraine so it was just it was surreal it was it it was i think i had a mild mild um, case of ptsd because i just couldn't couldn't stop thinking about it and i was on the phone with people all day long because i instead of sort of being depressed and watching this unfold like a horror movie, I decided we would do something about it, and we started this um, initiative called the Ukraine Relief Network. So if you want to check it out, it's ukraineReliefNetwork.org. And it's basically, initially it was, to just say it was a rescue operation, uh, because we knew of hundreds of hundreds, especially of Christians, members of, of the Christian faith, who were stuck somewhere in a village or on a car, in a car with their family, and imagine the imagine the traffic jams of four eight million people trying to leave the country. Imagine how would that look like? It's it's hard to even imagine. It's right? heartbreaking. Uh, the, you know, yeah. Just some of the, the and, the and of course footage. they left in in haste. Right. They left with not enough food, not enough medical supplies, clothing. It was cold running out of gas most of them don't have money reserves you know it's an economy that you know they most people live month to month so what we did is we we started working through some pastors on the ground people we trusted and loved and who were respected by the community so we would start wiring money to them and they would wire micro essentially donations to e-wallets of people all over the country inside the country and these are people who couldn't have access to the Red Cross. The UN was not doing anything yet because it's a war zone. So we were able to help thousands of people be safe, be fed, be warm, make it to the border, be you know, sort of find their way away from danger. And that's how we started the the uh, the initiative. And we we raised about a quarter of a million dollars in a couple of months, which was more than we thought we would do. And now it's a more sort of it's it's a more strategic um, thing, right? So we're now partnering with other large organizations. I'm about actually about to travel to Ukraine on Monday with my wife. So we're going to do some work there in Lviv and then in Kiev. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with us today. Thank you for the work that you do. Just. I kind of want to end this episode with one of the things you talked about was was your obedience. And there is a blessing tied to obedience for believers. And you've lived an incredible life with lots of twists and turns. But when you became obedient to God, he opened up other doors and other opportunities that have now made it so that you can minister to people all over the world. You've got charities and you help the poor. And so I just, I'm just so thankful that I got to know you, got to hear your story and it's one of hope. And so I just thank you for being here with us today. And I'm going to put that article and all the links so that people can find out all of the amazing things and the work that you're doing today. Thank you, Missy. Uh, Absolute honor to, to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. 
I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com, for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there. 